Hey, thanks for listening to the Murray Hills podcast. This week, I start a series called At the Movies, where we take popular movies and discuss the spiritual themes. So unfortunately, since this is all audio, you don't get to see the clips, but you will get to hear them. And hopefully things translate that way. But I really appreciate you listening and hope you enjoy this message. We're in a series called At the Movies. And what we do is we take popular movies and we talk about the spiritual themes in them. And uh, not everybody always doesn't like the movies that I pick, uh, which is crazy. I don't understand because I picked them, so I, I liked all of them. But I'm curious today, before we show this trailer, how many of you are documentary fans? Like you watch documentaries on Netflix, Hulu. Okay. No, I don't know that that's quite half. How many of you are not documentary fans? Like you will not watch a documentary. Okay. Good, good. Um, you didn't watch this movie, and that's okay, because it's a documentary. <laughs> My wife, I like documentaries, and Jenny, like when she sees me even stop on the documentary section on Netflix, she goes, uh-uh, stop, stop, no, we're not watching a documentary tonight. Um, this was a documentary about the very last Netflix, or Netflix, the very last blockbuster, <laughs> produced by Netflix, ironically, uh, the very last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon. This little minute and a half will give you a little taste of it for those of you that don't like documentaries and didn't watch it. In a world where video stores have all but disappeared. I mean, look at the James Bond section. Every James Bond movie. Every Avatar movie, because, you know, there's just the one so far. I hate late fees, but I understand that you have to do it, otherwise people just keep those videos. I know I did. I know I did. <laughs> Meet Sandy, the Blockbuster mom. So um, when I started in 2004, um, Blockbuster Video had nine, roughly 9,000 stores and over 60,000 employees. Um, and now... Do I miss renting from a physical store? No, absolutely not. I don't think anybody does. We just need Pacific Video to send us a notice that they are exercising their fourth and final renewal option. So yeah, that kind of scared me a little bit. I mean, how long until companies don't even make DVDs, period? And then I don't know what. Um... Did you know that Blockbuster had a chance to buy Netflix, but they didn't? Now that, to me, is crazy. It is truly the last standing bastion of a bygone era. Hey, that's cool, you know, that the last blockbuster in existence is right here in my hometown. If there's some cats in Oregon still scratching it out, you know, with Be Kind, Rewind, nothing wrong with that, that's beautiful. So, Hornwall, Tennessee, circa 1984, we did not have a blockbuster video. We had Bowen's Movie Rental. And they also sold uh, refrigerators and washers and dryers and sofas and dining room tables and TVs and VCRs. All the appliances and furniture were on the left side of the store, and the VHS rentals were on the right side of the store. And we went there on Friday nights, most of the time, Friday nights, right after we went by Frank Harris's market. Frank Harris had a market on Linden Highway right there by the Golden Saddle Restaurant, and that was candy night. 
And so mom would only let us buy candy once uh, a week. And we would go by Frank Harris's market, and he'd give us these little brown bags, and we would get to pick out some candy for the weekend. And I would eat two pieces of candy while we watched the movie that night, and then I would save one piece of candy for Saturday morning cartoons. And so after we went to Frank Harris's market, we would go over to Bowen's and try to pick out a movie. And it looked exactly like what you can imagine. You know, there's these, these wooden shelves, and they had built their own. There's none of this prefabricated stuff, but there's these wooden shelves out in the out in the floor, and then on the, on the wall, there are all of these shelves, and they've got the cassette tape, the sleeve of the cassette tape, usually covered in plastic with no cassette in it. There was like a little thing of styrofoam in it or something like that. Uh, and then you would pick out what you wanted, go to the front desk, and Mr. and Mrs. Bowen would go back into the back room and find the, the tape that you needed and bring it back out to you. If they didn't have what you needed, they could usually find because they only carried one or two copies. Nobody carried a bunch of this. You know, like, so if you went and said, hey, do y'all, do y'all have Ghostbusters? I don't see it out there. And they're like, well, let me look. You know, oh, yeah, Ricky and Cindy Morrow got that. Uh, it's going to be back Tuesday. So, you know, so, I mean, it's a small town. <laughs> you know, they were perfectly fine telling you who had the movie and when it was going to be back. But the first time I ever laid eyes on a blockbuster video was in the big city. Um, we came to Columbia to eat at the Western Sizzlin' because that's we would go to Western Sizzlin' or Bonanza. And then after that was over, we might go to the movies, but before we went to the movies, we'd run by Shady Brook Mall and check out the sound shop and see maybe, you know, maybe they had the new single cassette tape of the new Alabama song, Roll On, 18-Wheeler, or The Closer You Get, or something. And uh, then we would head, or sometimes we'd eat at Pizza Hut just right up the street, and they had the little sit-down video game. You remember, uh, that was it? Pac-Man and uh, Space Invaders or something. We would sit down and play that while the parents were ordering um, the pizza. And, of course, the Pizza Hut, Taco Express is in there now. And if you go eat at Taco Express, if you're not from here, you eat at Taco Express next time, look at it and go, oh, yeah, this was a Pizza Hut. I see it now. I had no idea, but this was definitely a Pizza Hut. And the last blockbuster in Columbia is where Firehouse Subs and Jets Pizza and Cricket Wireless, all of those are, are in. That was the blockbuster in Columbia. And Western Sizzlin' was just a little piece down the road on James Campbell right there where Walgreens is now. That's where the Western Sizzlin' was. And the sound shop, along with the rest of the mall, uh, is long, long gone. I actually found a video on YouTube, a commercial from Shady Brook Mall, which opened, interestingly enough, about the same time as Blockbuster. I was like, it was 1985 that Shady Brook Mall opened. And uh, watch this little piece of memorabilia. It's the place to go. So YouTube has this thing called algorithms, and they start suggesting videos once you start going down the rabbit hole. Then I found this one. Imagine the perfect video store. It would have a great selection, right? Right. Over 10,000 videos. Three evening rentals, so no rush, no hassle. Fast checkout. 24-hour quick drop return. Open late every night. Well... The perfect video store. Welcome to Blockbuster Video. Is popping up all over the country.
there's one near you. Now that video is not that old. It looks old, but that was 1992. That was the year I graduated high school. It's not old at all. Uh, That's like, that's a very recent video right there. But that's the deal with the last blockbuster. This is why I told you to watch it. And depending on kind of where you are, uh, if you grew up in the 80s and 90s, there's a lot of nostalgia in this thing. I mean, there's a, it'll take you down memory lane. You'll remember, oh, I remember going in the Blockbuster video or the Bowens movie store or wherever it was in, in your town. You know, oh, I remember that. So there's a lot of nostalgia, and that was part of the reason I wanted to watch it. It was just a kind of fun, nostalgic trip down memory lane. But there's also a cautionary tale in here for the church. And I didn't watch this movie thinking I was going to preach on it. Most of the movies I watch for at the movies, I'm like, I'm going to preach on this, so let me take some notes and be ready for this. This one I watched, and about halfway through, it hit me. This is the perfect metaphor for church. Is the church blockbuster video, or are we Netflix? And the, the, the story's told in the movie, Blockbuster Video started in 1985. It grew like wildfire. By 1994, nine years, they had 3,600 stores, and they sold to Viacom for $8.4 billion in 1994. In 1999, they went public for another half a billion dollars. And at their peak, they had over 9,000 stores, over 60,000 employees, and 65 million customers. Their peak was probably... Early 2000, 65 million customers in less than a decade, they filed for bankruptcy. And in 2021, there's one remaining blockbuster left. And there is, it is true, there's one left in uh, Bend, Oregon. And they rent DVDs, but most of us don't even own a DVD player anymore. So you know what they sell at the Bend, Oregon blockbuster? Nostalgia. They, I mean, they sell T-shirts, and they sell memorabilia, and people go there like they would go to a museum, not to get something they need, but to go remember what it used to be like whenever Blockbuster was actually meeting needs. Somebody uh, emailed me this morning and said, you can actually rent it at, at Airbnb. You can go, and you can stay in the last Blockbuster if you want to go spend the night in the last Blockbuster store. There. So, I mean, that's what they, they sell now. Uh, and it, it, the interesting part of the documentary was that it wasn't Netflix that got them. It was Netflix had a better idea for the time, but Blockbuster was better suited to deliver it. They had all the customers. They had all the physical locations. They had all the employees. They were better suited to deliver the idea that Netflix had. But you know what? They, they didn't want to deliver it. They laughed at Netflix when they came to them. And so there's this combination of pride and ego and hubris and bad management decisions and bad financial decisions and mostly a failure to look ahead and go, oh, the world's going in that direction. No, 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 I think we can just keep doing this. We'll be fine. I know the world's going in that direction. I know people's, the the guy at the end that owns this last blockbuster, he said people's behavior has changed drastically. That's an understatement. Their behavior has changed drastically. Blockbuster didn't. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6, and let me show you a little story from the church. This is a story about how the church in the early days pivoted and changed directions 
into something new, but it very easily could have been a story about how the early church, this could have been like the beginning of the end for the early church. This could have been the story about how the church began to just, it was doing all these great things and then it, it stopped doing all these great things because of some of the same reasons we just talked about with Blockbuster. But uh, a lot of versions subtitle this, The Choosing of the Seven. So this is in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and four guys who have names that are hard to pronounce, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. And they presented these men to the apostles, who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. As you're reading the story of the early church, this is almost like an aside. It's kind of like, why would Luke include this story in the... I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like you're reading about this explosive growth of the early church. God is on the move. People are being baptized. Thousands of people are joining the church. I mean, it's just incredible growth that's happening. And then Luke pauses to say, let me tell you a little story about a problem they had in the midst of all this incredible growth. Because any organization, as, as organizations grow and as organizations mature, they will run into problems. There will inevitably be problems that pop up. And this is a problem that pops up in the history of the early church. Because before this, I mean, they're together, they're one. Look at this, you're familiar with this, uh, Acts chapter 2. You're familiar with this description of the early church, that all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to anyone who had need, and every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. I mean, this is the description just a few chapters before Acts chapter 6. It's like, everything's great. This church is rocking along. Things are incredible. Everybody's together. Everybody's needs are being met. And then Luke says, oh, no, no, no. There was a problem. The problem popped up in, in verse 1 there that the Hellenistic Jews complained against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked. And it was a problem that was practical in nature, so there were some needs that were not being met by the church. So it's practical in nature. There's uh, some cultural or, or racial undertones to this, because we'll talk a little bit about the difference between the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews, but there are some undertones of that uh, in this message. It's one of the very first cross-cultural crossroads that the church will find itself in, and it'll find itself in it throughout the book of Acts. And it's also spiritual in nature, because it's creating a distraction from the, the church's main focus. Because people are being overlooked, the church is not able to, to focus on the things that it really needs to focus on. And um, so the early church did something that modern churches don't do. They acted quickly. They, uh, like they, they said, oh, you're right, this is a problem. We need to fix it. And they chose some people and said, fix it. The, the modern church doesn't do that. We, we would have had 
numerous elders meetings about this. I mean, we'd have been talk- maybe we would have formed a committee to address, let's, let's just research this a little bit and find out what's going on with the Hellenistic Jews and find out why they're being, let's have a church business meeting about it. Because the modern church will be worried about how many Hebraic Jews are we going to lose if we offend them by, you know, I mean, like, this is, this is re- we got to move carefully here because people don't like it when, when the church changes. And this is a major change here that we're talking about. So we got to move careful here because some of these Hebraic Jews might start complaining and go, you know, I, I just don't like the direction this church is heading in anymore. I just don't like the way where these Hellenistic Jews, why are they talking about, why, what's the matter with these Hellenistic Jews? We've been, everything's been fine. Why are they talking about this? I understand it's a problem, but do, do we just have to talk about it all the time? They always want to talk about the distribution of food. Can we just talk about Jesus and not talk about the daily distribution of food? So the early church actually looked at that. The leaders did this. And um, they did something that's not necessarily clear to us in just a reading of the text. Like when you when you dig into the commentary a little bit and find out like what culturally what's going on here. There's a couple of things that add some depth to this. One is this. Uh, the Hebraic Jews, here's the difference. The Hebraic Jews were those who spoke Aramaic or Hebrew. And they were the Orthodox Jews. I mean they were the they they preserved the Jewish customs and traditions. And at this time the early church is all Jewish. And so I would classify the Hebraic Jews as kind of the insiders in this story because they were the ones that were preserving the customs and traditions of the Jewish faith. And the church was very intertwined with customs and traditions of the Jewish faith. It's not until Acts chapter 15 that that starts to change. So they they were the insiders. And the Hellenistic Jews were uh, those born in areas outside of Israel. And most of them spoke Greek. And they were much more Grecian than Hebraic in their attitudes and their approach. So they're the outsiders here. Now, by Acts chapter 15, the Hellenistic Jews might have been the insiders. Because all insiders were once outsiders, which is a whole other sermon in and of itself. But, uh, but at this point in the history of the church, I think they're the outsiders. And so there's a whole lot more going on here than just simply... A neglect to meet a need like oh no we just forgot the food I, I think there's a kind of a, a struggle going on between insiders outsiders and there's a little bit of a cultural struggle going on here as well between um, concerning faith and tradition the other thing that's interesting those names that I couldn't pronounce they're all Greek names meaning that the early leaders of the church the 12 who would have been Hebraic Jews um, chose leaders from the Hellenistic Jews to solve the problem that they were complaining about. So, they, they, I mean, that, and that's significant. The church, the leaders of the church, appointed leaders from within the group that was being excluded or oppressed to represent their concerns. And it gave them a greater voice in the church. Now, we don't have the specifics of what happened. Luke just tells the conclusion. Luke just says the word of God spread. He doesn't tell how it was fixed. I, I have to suspect, though, that Stephen... And these other six men changed the way they did the dis- daily distribution of the food. Are they, are they, I mean, we don't know how they changed it. We don't know what. But I have to, to believe that they somehow changed that. They said, okay, hey, this is a problem. This has been brought to our attention. And so they probably changed the way they did it. They changed. Here's the point. They changed their approach. 
they changed their methodology or they changed their model to better meet the needs of the world changing around them. They didn't get arrogant. The, the leaders of the church didn't laugh at the Hellenistic Jews like, oh, what's the matter with you? This is no big deal. Why was it such a big deal? They didn't get arrogant. They didn't have pride. They didn't have hubris. They didn't get insider focus. They didn't say, no, 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 no. We just need to be concerned with spiritual things. And they were concerned with spiritual things. You read that in the story. But they didn't say, no, no, no. We need to be concerned with spiritual things. And this is not a spiritual thing. And, and we don't need to worry about this. This is a social concern. This is not a spiritual concern. Uh, we're not going to worry about this. They worried about both. I mean, they, they, were, they were worried about the spiritual concerns, and they were worried about um, the social concerns as well. They didn't get insider-focused. And I think that in order for the church to do, to do both, it's got to be constantly changing and adapting. That, to me, was the lesson of the last blockbuster. The church must be willing to change and adapt. It has to be willing to change and adapt. I mean, you can ask any—blockbuster's uh, not the only example. Ask Kodak or ask— Sears or ask uh, Service Merchandise or ask Circuit City or Radio Shack or any of these organizations, whenever an organization fails to meet the needs of the world around it, it ceases to exist. And that's true of the church as well. And I know the church was founded by Jesus and Jesus has promised that his church will endure and, and all of those things. But I mean, it, it, it's just a cautionary tale. And I think that's why Luke included it in the story for churches later to see. I want you to see how this early church handled a problem that it faced. I want you to see how this early church evolved to meet a need in the world around it. Because churches that don't meet needs in the world around them will not be long for this world. And I started thinking then, you know, like, um, with this church, we, we've been through a significant amount of change over 20 years. We're, we're, a, we're a baby church in church years. 20 years is a pretty long time, but in church years, it's baby church. All churches in America are baby churches in church years. <laughs> but just, uh, we've, we've gone through changes with our worship. We've gone through changes with the participation uh, and leadership of women in our assembly. We've, we've gone through changes with our, you know, not necessarily change, but a more embrace of our non-denominational identity. Um, we, we've sought to become more diverse and, and multicultural. I mean, there's all, the, there's all these changes that I've seen take place in, in Murray Hills over the last 20 years, and um, change is difficult. I mean, it, I don't know that this happened, but I would guess that some of the Hebraic Jews said, that's it, we're going to go back to our old synagogue here. We don't like the, we don't like the direction this, this church is going in, you know. It, it happens. When the, we all, none of us like change. None of us like it. And so when, when what we were comfortable with was working for us, and it's no longer working, and we're changing it, it, it's uncomfortable when people leave. And there's a part of me that always starts thinking like, well, if we just get through this one, we'll be, we'll be done. You know, like, like as, a, as a church leader, if we just get through, if we can just push through this thing, we'll be done and everything will smooth out. You know, if we just work through this transition, then all the transitions will be done. And that's simply not true. I mean, you, no organization can finally say, well, we've arrived. We know how to do VHS rental. And we've arrived. Nobody does VHS rental better than us. We're safe and we're secure. We'll always be relevant. No, you won't. 
If the world changes around you and people's behavior drastically changes, you won't always be relevant if you just keep doing the things that you've always been doing. And so in order for organizations, any organization, but especially the church, in order for the church to survive generation after generation, we have to do the hard work of changing and adapting. We have to be sensitive to the needs of the world around us and ask, how can we meet those needs? Now, we do that with the Bible as our guide, and we do that with Jesus as our foundation. So it means that you know, the, the core of our faith is not going to change. But the way in which we approach our faith does change. The way in which we communicate that faith to the world around us changes our attitude our outlook those things change and if you go through the story of the early church that's a very healthy thing to do is change i ran across a, an article from uh, perry noble that was written four years ago and uh, this was before the last blockbuster was produced and he interestingly enough used the metaphor of the last blockbuster not the, the movie, but like, you know, look at what happened to Blockbuster. And he says, I want to read you an extended quote of his. Unfortunately, what happened with Blockbuster can happen with the church as well. Now, let me state for the record, I do not believe that the church is in any sort of trouble. Jesus said he would build his church, and it's been thriving for the past 2,000 years. However, while the church is fine, the church as in the church universe, the church is fine, some churches are not. In fact, according to numerous different articles I've read, somewhere between 3,500 and 4,000 churches shut down every single year, an average around 10 per day. I bet you that number's higher post-COVID. The sad part is it doesn't have to be that way. Unfortunately, with the churches who close, I believe the overwhelming majority of them chose to romanticize the present, like Blockbuster, and ignore the future. I can actually remember churches in the late 90s and early 2000s swearing they would never have a website and questioning whether why any church would waste money on something so useless. There was a huge resistance to online giving in many churches, and unfortunately there still is a defiant posture in some. But the bottom line is, businesses and churches who refuse to change with the times will eventually cease to exist. Not because of the devil, but because of a decision to dive into irrelevance. One of the main issues with the church today is it seems to be answering questions no one is actually asking while avoiding the cultural issues of the day people are legitimately seeking spiritual guidance on. And even though the Bible is not silent on so many issues, the church still chooses to be so because the blockbuster mentality dominates their thinking. People will always flock to this place. We will always be relevant. The church will be fine. Now that last sentence, the, the in the last paragraph, the first sentence of the last paragraph, I want you to read that one again. One of the main issues with the church today is it seems to be answering questions no one is actually asking. While avoiding the cultural issues of the day, people are legitimately seeking spiritual guidance on. That's a ouch and an amen at the same time. Because... We, we've tr we try to do this as a church, and every time we do it, uh, it, it hurts. But we try to address cultural issues. Like, we, you know, earlier this year, we tried, and we did a series called Love and Justice, and we said, 
man, people are really wanting some spiritual guidance. You know, how, how does the church respond to the abortion crisis? And how does the church respond to the, to the racial disunity in, in our country? And how does the church respond to the problem of human trafficking? And how do we respond to poverty? And like, you know, how does the church, and that's just the, the latest example of like where we've tried to say, how, what these cultural issues, there's things going on around us. How should we as Christians and, and people of faith, people who are empowered with the gift of the Holy Spirit, how are we to respond to these issues around us? You know, what's the right biblical framework you know what's the right biblical worldview to have about this and how do we address this and how do we have you know healthy and honest and good conversations about these problems and if we're not helping people navigate those issues then you know what are we doing I mean it's like we we've got to do both when I look at the story of Acts chapter 6 I see that it was a church that was for Jesus and for people and, I mean, it was, we're unapologetically for Jesus. We will always say we are for Jesus, first and foremost. I mean, our entire worship service is focused on Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But we don't want to be always doing this and never doing this. You understand what I mean? We don't want to be always looking up, Jesus, 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 and never looking around at the needs of the people around us or the needs of the worlds around us. And if there are people that are neglected or abused or oppressed or if there's injustice around us and go, well, I'm sorry that's happening, but I'm focused on Jesus. You, it's got to do both. And that's where, that's where I see the, the early church, if we're to follow their example, I see them doing both. And the reason they do both is because they're looking here. Hang with me just one minute. I got to wrap up. But when you're looking at Jesus, what do you see from Jesus' example? What did Jesus do? What, what was Jesus' primary concern? The proper order of worship. <laughs> no. The, the proper construction of church buildings. No, uh, the, you know, the proper presence on... Jesus was worried about building his platform on social media. That's what Jesus was most concerned about. I want to make sure i got a good, strong platform on social media. I want to make sure that I'm orthodox in all of my doctrines and, and teachings here. Jesus was concerned with people. I mean, he was concerned with the people around him, and he met the needs of the people around him, and that's what he calls followers of his to do. And I have a feeling that's why most of you are here. It, like, I mean, there's... 200 churches in Murray County. You can go to any of them, and, and they're, they're all great. But a lot of you are here because you're saying, I want to be at a place that's, that's looking how we can meet the needs of the world around us. That's, that's got its eyes focused on Jesus, but is also willing to look around our world and to say, how can we, how can we better meet these needs? How can we better serve this community? How can we better address this issue? And, and what, how, you know, this is a kind of a dirty word, in church because people misinterpret it but how can we be relevant how can we be relevant to the world around us where people who are not believers don't dismiss the church as those those are the people that got their heads stuck in the clouds they don't know anything that's going on in the world around us they don't know anything about how to address those issues there's no answers here but how can we be relevant to tell people there are answers here and, and there is a God who wants to live in you. I mean, there is a God who wants to empower you to, to live differently. And there is a better way to go about it than the way our secular society is going about it. It takes both, in my opinion. It takes a church that's for Jesus and for the city. Fiercely committed to Jesus, but does not ignore the needs and concerns of the people around us. And that's the lesson of Acts chapter 6. And Big thanks to the last blockbuster for sending us there. Let me say a word of prayer. And uh, I'll close us with this prayer. I do, I do want to mention this one real quick. Next week's movie. Throw that one up for me, uh, Ty. I think it's in there somewhere. 
Soul is where we're going next week, and this will wrap up our, our At The Movie series. And uh, we're doing this for family movie night, so we'll watch this together here in the room at 6 p.m. If you don't want to watch it beforehand, you can wait and watch it uh, all together for family movie night, and that's the way we'll wrap up At The Movies. But let me say a word of prayer for us to, to close us out. Father, I thank you for uh, this body of believers that are, are bold enough to ask hard questions and have com- hard conversations. And uh, I pray that you would um, protect us from any kind of uh, ego or pride that seems to be the downfall of so many organizations and so many churches. And protect us from um, an insider focus where we're only concerned with our comfort and the things that we like and the things that we want and we're not concerned with the world around us that is lost without you. And... um, Protect us from uh, all the competing voices that are around us. All the competing voices that tell us it should be about us. It's me, 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 me. Protect us from that. Protect me from that. Um, Father, I pray that you help us as a body of believers to figure out how to go boldly into the future. And um, we do that using your word as our guide. And your word is still relevant thousands of years after it was written. It's still relevant, and it still speaks to many of the issues that we're dealing with because human sin is nothing new. Pride is nothing new to you. Selfishness is nothing new to you. Narcissism is nothing new to you. Injustice is nothing new to you. Racism is nothing new to you. All of these sins and issues that our world deals with today People have dealt with for millions of years, and the answer is in your son, Jesus. And may we believe that confidently, and may we help show the world that. And it's through his name I pray these things. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.